Hello, my name is Ethan, and welcome back to another episode of Crossroads Conversations. Welcome to this week's episode. So today I wanted to talk about something that I kind of set up last week in talking about living life with an open hand. And so today I want to talk about how Christ disarms his followers and how do we as the people of God embrace peace in a violent world. So today uh, I've and over the last few months I've been thinking a ton about nonviolence and how do we respond to evil in the world, especially gross evil. Um, unfortunately, we have seen so many instances of great evil the last few months. We've had more than 200 mass shootings, and time and time again, we are reminded that far too many people prefer to solve their problems using violence. And I'm not going to talk too much about policy solutions or anything like that. I, I think that is best left for another episode or perhaps another format entirely, but I do want to talk about a, a different response to evil in the world, and one of the ways that I've seen in Scripture a, a Christian response, the, the Christ-like response to evil, and that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk a little bit about pacifism or an explicit rejection of the ways that we are ordinarily taught to fight against evil. And pacifism tells us that actually the way to defeat ultimate evil is actually through redemptive, nonviolent, sacrificial love. And love that leads us to turn the other cheek, love that leads us to bless those that cause us harm, and love that ultimately leads us to, even as we are dying, due to the violence that's perpetrated against us, to actually forgive those that cast the final blow against us. These are difficult subjects for a multitude of reasons, and I am most certainly not an expert but I do think there is some scriptural and historical guidance and even some implications of this in our lives today. So that's kind of what I want to talk about. And first, I want to say this, because I think it's important to say that we have to be careful when having conversations like this, that we're not saying that suffering and especially uh, the, the marginalized among us and the folks at the very lowest levels of our society, the, the most vulnerable members of our society, those that have violence done against them, we have to be very careful not to shy away from it and say, and speak in a kind of Christianese about it and say something like, well, you know, death is not the end and, you know, God is with them no matter what. I think we do have to be careful to not justify evil. <laughs> and especially, you know, right now we're seeing um, in real time the, the war in Ukraine. Millions of people are suffering direct harm because of this war. And so we also, I think having this conversation, need to be careful about saying ignorant things about the way in which suffering can be a way to 
perhaps grow closer to Christ without also admitting that these things are a mystery in, in many ways to us. But what we do know is that the principle of nonviolence in Scripture gives us a picture of what Christ did, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can also do. So with that out of the way, I do want to talk about some of the biblical foundations that we have for nonviolence. So we have Matthew 5, uh, verse 38 through 48, and this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talking about loving your enemies and praying for those that uh, persecute you. And this ethic of peacemaking is, is really woven into the theology of this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I won't read all of it, but certainly it is replete with examples of this type of response that I'm, I'm talking about. And further to that point, we have the Apostle Paul and his epistle to the Roman church talking about overcoming evil with good. And then just throughout the New Testament, we have the example of someone like Stephen, the, the first martyr of the church, who does not raise his fist against those that are committing violence against him, but actually offers forgiveness to those that, that harm him and ultimately take his life. And these are difficult for us. I think we, we have been nurtured and in many ways discipled to believe that the way to respond to injustice is always with violence. It's always with a sword or a gun or a fist or whatever you, you want to say. But what we see more often in the New Testament and in the church's history, its tradition, is that for the early church at least, the Christian response to evil was forgiveness. It was, again, nonviolent love and blessing those that did them wrong. There are numerous stories of these terrible plagues that would overcome small villages in the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, and Christians would often be the last to evacuate because they would be with the sick often contracting the illness and dying of, of the same while treating their patients. And they were often mocked for this, but they died knowing that they were performing a service to their neighbor without much concern about their own future. Now, this isn't to say that they were acting cavalierly. They were following their calling. And I think what we have to wrestle with, what we have to reckon with, rather, is what does it mean to be dedicated to your neighbor when we live in a society in which violence is often encouraged? How do we, how do we navigate these questions where it pretty clearly seems that the ethic of the New Testament church especially in the early centuries. Now, I think we could maybe talk about the Crusades a little bit. Clearly, something something falls off somewhere. Um, who knows where exactly that happens, but something cl clearly goes wrong. But certainly, the ethic of the early New Testament church is a commitment to nonviolence. That's why there are so many martyrs. Uh, if the early church was not dedicated to nonviolence, they certainly would not have been murdered like they were. Um 
And I don't say that to, to make light of the fact that these men and women gave their lives for the gospel. What I'm more meaning is this was this was to them the the way of the cross. And the way of the cross is not often one that leads to the sort of life that perhaps some have imagined, but it is the way of Jesus. It's the way that leads to actual life, just perhaps not the life that you might envision if you're thinking in terms of preservation of your life and not preservation of my neighbor. And so that's part of the part of the thing that we have to fight against is I think we have been taught that our life is something we have to preserve. And part of what I was talking about last week in that episode is that if we truly believe what God says, that our lives are hidden in Christ and that our lives are bound up in one another, but we're also held by our Father, that our lives are not our own, but that we exist because He desires that we exist. Every breath that we have is a gift. And if we also believe that Jesus has told us to have no fear, if we truly believe these things, and if we confess, if we believe what we confess every week, then I don't think there's any choice but to believe that God is ultimately good, that he is with us, that every breath is a gift, then and also that we have nothing to, to fear because Christ has robbed the grave because through the mystery of the resurrection, he gets back up and death no longer has its same sting, but that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you too can overcome death. This is the promise of the Christian story. This is the gospel. And yet so many of us are fast to raise a fist, raise a sword, whatever, in defense of our lives, even though our lives are not our own, even though we are bought with a price. And this is the, this is the crux of the issue, is to truly believe that your life is not your own, is to abandon any notion of your defense of it. Because when you recognize that God is your protector, and perhaps deeper than that, that he is Lord and Savior of your life, it's also to recognize that your life is not yours to defend. But on the contrary, your responsibility is to your neighbor, is perhaps ironically to the one that wants to cause you harm. And this seems strange to us, but, but think about this. This is the ethic that we see. Jesus is on the cross. Jesus has not raised a hand to harm, maim, or cause bloodshed in any way. He actually rebukes Peter for doing this to a Roman soldier and tells him that if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. He's on the cross, and 
Jesus's mind is not on vengeance. He's not on the cross saying, praying silently, I am really going to gut these guys as soon as I get the opportunity. That's not what he's doing. He actually has forgiveness on his mind. And some of his last words are, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I think this gives us a picture of our response. And clearly, that's what it meant to the early church, because that's pretty similar to what Stephen says when he's martyred. He looks up to heaven in quite the same way and says, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we know historically that this was a pretty common response by many of the early uh, Christian martyrs that we have record of. And this isn't a fringe movement. This isn't something that just came out of nowhere. There are numerous historical examples of folks that practiced pacifism, that preached it. We have folks like Tertullian, folks like uh, Origen, uh, Hippolytus, and there's also numerous faith traditions that make pacifism a, a core part of their doctrine. I'm, I'm talking mostly about the Anabaptist tradition, so that's people like the Amish, uh, the Mennonites, uh, Quakers, and to them, pacifism is core to who they are, and so it's part of, even though they probably wouldn't, wouldn't call it a creed, it, it's part of their creed in a sense. And so this isn't a fringe movement. This is, in many ways, one of the bedrock um, principles of the Christian faith. And so whether we choose to embrace it or not, and, you know, there are some, uh, <laughs> certainly some alternative or some counter arguments to this. We have, you know, just war theory uh, that is talked about quite a bit. And I think I could get into that in a later episode because I, I think it maybe deserves its its own amount of explanation because it's interesting. But this is a valid option for Christians, and it has been. Uh, I think probably the most prominent example I know of, I know of off the top of my head is Martin Luther King Jr. in the mid twentieth century. Obviously, a major practitioner of nonviolent um, direct resistance, and. I love so much of what he has to say on the subject, and I think just his life is a testament to this, that despite the uh, numerous obstacles in his way and many folks that were attempting to harm him, attempting to harm his family, uh, numerous assassination attempts, he never encouraged violence. He never raised his fist or raised a gun or attempted to harm anyone. Um, for any reason. I think that is very much of, of the kind of spirit that I think we should attempt to live into um, because I think that's very much the sort of tradition that brings life ultimately. And this is ultimately, I think, how hearts are changed. The problem with violence, really at core, is that violence only ever begets violence. It never truly solves the issue. And I won't go too deep into uh, history here, but if you've ever even done a, a cursory study of military history, you see this pretty quickly, that wars or battle, battles of any kind never really solve the problems that they set out to solve. They really only cause more bloodshed in the long run. Um, 
And so I think we can see this even from even from a practical perspective that violence doesn't really accomplish what it aims to accomplish. But the only way to really change hearts is for those hearts to be redeemed. And redemption only comes through love. Redemption only comes through nonviolent love. Because if Jesus, if Jesus would have come off the cross and smote all of the Roman soldiers and said, you know what, I, I'm not doing the whole, I'm not doing the whole dying thing. It's just, it's just not really for me. You know, I'm the God of, of all creation. You know, I, I don't have to do anything if I don't want to. All power in heaven and on earth is given into me, is given to me. So, you know what, I, I don't really want to die. But here's the thing. He doesn't do that. Jesus uses his power, his authority to actually submit to death on a cross is what the book of Hebrews tells us. So I think my question most often to people that seem to think that they have a right to use violence is, well, who do you think you are? If God himself in Christ (laughs) determines that violence is not the way then what right do we have to use violence to influence life in any way? Well, I would say that we need to really sit with that. I'm not sure we do have that option, and I think this is part of what I'm getting at. The way of Christ, and if we truly seek to follow it, means that we lay down our weapons, not because it's a good thing to do, not because it's a nice thing to do, but because it's how we serve one another. It's very difficult to love somebody you're afraid of and using weapons of any kind, whether it be a gun or something else. I think it forces us to imagine the world in ways that are ultimately more about fear and more about control than they are about service or about love. Again, You cannot walk around with a degree of fear about your fellow, your neighbor, if you're constantly, if you're also saying that you want to love them deeply. You cannot serve people that you believe are out to get you. Because even if they are out to get you, then we confess and we believe that ultimately God is our guide, that God is with us, and that whatever happens to us, it's for his glory, and that ultimately, all these things will be redeemed in his time. That doesn't mean that it's God's will that for you to get murdered by some random person, but we do believe that God redeems all things. We do believe that in some way, that God will make all things right in the end. So even if you don't get justice in this life, you will get justice. I think that's what many people struggle with. Is they is many of us, and I, I struggle with this, we want justice right now. And we pray for justice to be done right here. We pray for, Lord, let your will be done right here, right now, as it's being done in heaven. But we don't know how and when that'll happen. We do know that eventually God's justice will reign supreme. How that works and how all that shapes out, who's to say? But we can trust that we're in God's hands no matter what happens. Even if the worst happens to us, we can trust that God is good in spite of it. 
And naturally, there are true challenges to the work of nonviolence. There are human rights issues at stake. There's social justice issues at stake. And I am certainly not... I am not suggesting that that anyone put themselves in a dangerous situation just for the sake of proving their commitment to Jesus. That is, that's not faithfulness, that's silliness. That, that's beyond the point of what I'm talking about today. But that when we're put in situations in which we have the opportunity to either respond with violence or to respond with love— to respond in a way that brings healing, that brings mutual flourishing, we should choose the option that ultimately is going to lead to Christ being glorified in our lives, but also to that person laying down their sword voluntarily because they have been transformed radically by the God who has trusted you enough to put you in front of them. And you have the opportunity to be that good Samaritan, to be that person in Matthew 25 who welcomes the stranger, who visits the person that's sick, to visit the person that is in prison. You have that opportunity. And so what do we make of that opportunity? Do we use an opportunity like that to instill fear or to create more violence? Or do we use our redemptive voice and our redemptive authority to create opportunities for folks to be transformed by the knowledge of what true power looks like, which is in service to all? That's what Jesus models for us, is that the way, the way to be fully alive is to serve with all your heart and to love people incredibly well. Even, even to the point of blessing them while they're cursing you. And again, that seems strange to us, but that's the way of new and abundant life, and that's what Christ calls us into. So that's kind of been what I've been thinking about in regards to nonviolence, to, to pacifism, and certainly I think this is a much broader conversation, and I uh, I'm not, no expert on the subject by any means, but this has just been some of the things that I've been thinking about and, and talking about with, with some folks in my life. And so I figured I'd, I'd share it with you. And if perhaps this is <laughs> this is the part where, you know, you say, Ethan, I've, I've been with you this whole time, but, you know, this I just, I don't really know if I, I quite feel strongly about. I'll say this, this is certainly not, this is certainly not one of the things that I, I think is appropriate to break fellowship over. Uh, this is not a, a, a creedal issue in that sense. And what I mean by that is this is not addressed uh, in the creeds. And so I'm not sure that it it rises to, to the levels of some other issues like, you know, say the, the divinity of Jesus, for instance. But I do think it's important. Uh, but I do think there's, there's room for discussion and there's room for, for nuance here. And uh, as I said, I'm certainly no expert, but I think there's there's some grace to be had in a conversation like this, especially as, again, as I mentioned, we're, we're seeing so much violence in the world, and, and seemingly um, the violence is being amplified because of cable news, because of social media, and 
I think it's it's sometimes just important to recognize within ourselves that you know we have these kind of beastly desires, these urges towards violence, and you know where does that come from, and how can we how can we fight against that in a positive way, and how can we hopefully live as Jesus instructed us to live throughout the Gospels, and that's not always easy, um, but with the power of the Holy Spirit these things can be done and it can be done in service to your neighbor and it can be done in a way that's life-giving that leads to flourishing and leads to abundant life like i said last week there is nothing to fear and that's a wonderful wonderful thing amen hello My name is Ethan, and welcome to another episode of Crossroads Conversations.